0: Good evening, Dr. Danguera, and you're listening to Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is the fifteenth of February, twenty twenty-three, and this will be lecture number twenty-nine in immunoepigenetics. There's a protein called MCL one, and it's an apoptosis regulator. It's a member of the BCL, which is the B-cell lymphoma two protein aggregate family MCL1 is upregulated during myeloid cell differentiation and this particular isoform MCL1 is apparently necessary for survival of the precursor populations within the hematopoietic the adipocytic and even dermal cell lineages so, in induced pluripotent stem cells, they can be induced into region specific neural progenitor cells, or NPCs. And eventually they can be differentiated into specific neuronal subtypes and also glial cells. So, these NPCs are a population of cells with self renewal, they're multipotent differentiation. Capable. That means they're able to proliferate and maintain that NPC pool, as well as, of course, subsequently differentiate into the regional and spatially distinct neurons and glial cells, all of which can, at least at the level of function, execute specific activities. So the culture of these neuronal stem cells in chemically defined neural induction medium <clears throat> results in the differentiation of progenitor cells and then into those neuronal subtypes. So a conditional knockout of MC1, MCL1, <clears throat> which is in a mouse model, which is just uh, which would be an MKO, results in an extensive apoptosis of those neuroprogenitor cells in the developing forebrain. And MC1 is the only known anti-apoptotic protein that is necessary for the survival of both embryonic and adult neuronal uh, precursor cells. So the knockdown of MCL1 in postmitotic neurons does not result in apoptosis, but rather results in autophagy, very limited autophagy, allowing a conjecture that MCL1's anti-apoptotic role is temporally defined during neurogenesis in vivo. So the human MCL1 gene indeed encodes an anti-apoptotic protein which is a member, again, as I mentioned, of the BCL2 family. However, you have to understand there are alternative splicing events that will generate multiple transcriptional variants. Indeed, the longest gene product, isoform 1, enhances self-survival by, as I've been saying, the canonical inhibition of apoptosis while some of the alternatively spliced shorter gene products can promote apoptosis and are therefore death inducing so this mcl1 apoptosis regulator is indeed a protein coding gene it doesn't work at the rna level and there are diseases associated with mcl1 those include myeloid leukemia an indolent B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Now, among its related pathways, I guess you could say, are cytokine and chemokine signaling within the immune system. And also MCL1 is directly associated with T helper 17 cell differentiation. Okay, so that's some background. Now. <clears throat> FOX P3 positive regulatory T cells, those are T regs, I've lectured many times, explaining are essential for maintaining immunological tolerance. So, because they're important in immune, particularly autoimmune-related or chronically hyperimmune diseases that are linked to obesity and cancer there's a great deal of interest in how T regulatory cells can be controlled therapeutically, pharmacotherapeutically. So there are a lot of inhibitors out there that specifically, that specifically will um, target that MCL1 protein. Now, because that gets an anti-apotonic protein, you can understand that if mcl1 was knocked down it would induce apoptosis so why would you want to induce apoptosis in a t-reg cell well you might want to do that so that t helper cells can function at the same time you want to promote mcl1 in t regulatory cells after they're Terminal differentiation so that they have a longer residence time and thus maintain regulation that is suppression over the T effector, T helper cell population, so that you don't get chronic or runaway hyperinflammation. Okay. So <clears> T <throat> reg cells are particularly reliant on that protein, as it turns out. And I've already mentioned there are two isoforms of MCL1. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit more detail about that. One is located in the outer mitochondrial membrane. And that's the one that's required to antagonize apoptosis. Now, you know that's where cytochrome C resides. And you know the canonical apoptosis, mitochondrially associated apoptosis, Starts off with cytochrome C being released in the outer mitochondrial membrane. So now you already see the biochemical association, right? But there's another MCL1 that's in the inner mitochondrial membrane. No, that's the one that's got the electron transport chain. So you have one MCL1 at the OMM and one MCL1 at the IMM, right? Outer versus inner mitochondrial membrane. And the one in the inner mitochondrial membrane seems to be necessary to maintain that membranous structure. That's the level of lipid association within that membrane. I'm not going to talk about that today, unfortunately, because I love talking more about lipids. Here we're talking about proteins. But it is necessary to maintain the structure so that you get coupled ATP synthesis during oxidative phosphorylation, ETC so this paper i'm looking at now published in cell death and differentiation a few years back was asking the question what are the distinct biological functions of mc1 mcl1 in tregs and if you were to inhibit mcl1 remember what that will do if you inhibit an anti apoptotic protein you're going to promote apoptosis right so the question is what is going to happen with Apoptosis in these cells. So, a conditional deletion of MC1 in FOXP3 positive Treg cells, those are functional Tregs, did result in a lethal multi organ autoimmunity disease due to the depletion of the Treg cell, okay, a population. Now, that phenotype was rescued by a concomitant deletion of the apoptotic effector proteins back and backs. That indicates, of course, an association where apoptosis is playing a pivotal role in the homeostasis of T-regulatory cells, Sense to strict full stop. But interestingly, this paper showed that MCL1-deficient Treg cells rescued from apoptosis displayed, nevertheless, normal metabolic function. That means electron transport chain in the inner mitochondrial membrane was undisturbed. Now, MCL1-deficient Treg cells rescued from apoptosis displaying normal metabolic activity, nevertheless, when combined with a study on pharmacological inhibition of MC1 and Treg cells, provided resistance to apoptosis, and but, and, and, I shouldn't say and but, and then delivered normal metabolic function. So that means that MCL1 will antagonize apoptosis but doesn't seem to play a role in what? Metabolism, that is bioenergetics, okay? So why would all this be done? Because it would suggest, I know my best students are thinking of this, that MCL1 could be either activated or inhibited, manipulating Treg cell populations or maybe other T cell populations, yes, without inhibiting electron transport ATP synthesis. Okay. That is important in its own right. The regulation is only controlling programmed cell death. At least this study would suggest. Okay. So that's a kind of thing that gets done in these papers. Now, uh, you know, in the research that these papers are, um, describing. Now there are, there are drugs that interfere. We're moving, we're moving through here now. This is all prolegomena. Now we're getting into more of the serious aspect we' yes we're going to get epigenetic right now there are drugs that interfere with the phosphorylation of rna polymerase 2. now one of those inhibitors is actually a cdk712 blocker okay so that's uh cell cycle differentiation kinase 712 blocking agent and it has a name it's called thz1 now what it does is been determined at the molecular level interfere with present and subsequently emerging enhancer elements in the dna okay so an earlier study showed that THC1 exerts killing activity in glioblastoma megaforma model systems, okay? But it was only in the context of a single treatment. So maybe prolonged interfering using THC1 would not otherwise be a good pharmacotherapeutic agent. So this paper I'm looking at now, which was published in MDPI Cancers in 2020, okay, demonstrates that glioblastomas harbor a super enhancer element at the MCL1 locus. Super enhancer MCL locus would read out in what way? Phenotypically? that's correct. It's going to block apoptosis. It is that what's that going to do in the glioblastoma blastoma It's going to be bad because it's going to mean the progression of the disease of this very, very nasty neural cancer. Okay. Cause you're going to, cause you want to, you want to block that anti apoptotic agent, right? That, that would be one way of looking at it. So what that translates to is an increase that super enhancer increases MCL1 levels first transcriptionally, then presumably at the protein level, and that is exactly what they found when they're comparing GBM model, the glioblastoma model, to the normal brain tissue. So suppression of MCL1 alone actually did not Provide significant apoptosis induction. Now, combined with the inhibition of BCLXL, BCL2, and MCL1, yes, that led to a strong glioblastoma cellular killing, and subsequent reduction tumor growth in a patient-derived xenograph model. In, in a mouse model, in vivo, okay? Got all that. So THC1 affects the phosphorylation of rna Pol 2 and through that mechanism alters transcription and modulation of certain cis-regulatory elements so what are those elements obviously they're associated with mcl1 and it's super enhancer element right not the promoter but the enhancer so what they did in this paper is they isolated chromatin and they subjected it to um chip now that is chromatin immunoprecipitation and they used an antibody against histone-3-lysine-27-acetylated form, which is an epigenetic marker, right? Of course it is. And then they did next-generation sequencing and computational analysis, and they were examining that super enhancer element, the entire landscape of that element. And what they noted was a strong presence of super enhancers in the Control that is a DMSO-exposed, GBM cells, my glioblastoma megaform cells, called U87s, by the way, but THC1 right, potently suppressed the presence and the further enrichment of the histone three lysine twenty-seven acetylated nucleosome. Right at that super enhancer site, because they were sequencing, remember? Right at the MCL1 super enhancer site. Now that suggests the THZ1, what does it do? It inhibits, removes, or otherwise tanks the super enhancer. Maybe enough to affect glioblastoma megaforma Progression, okay, because that's what the what appeared in cell culture. So what does that mean? <clears throat> it means that preventing the phosphorylation of RNA polymerase 2 tanked histone acetylation near the MCL enhancer region, thus epigenetically inhibiting transcription of that anti-apoptotic polypeptide. Right. So. summarize, THZ1 displaces histone-3-lysine-27 acetylated form, that's an epigenetic markup, authorship, and from that region in both two different glioblastoma cell lines. That suggests a potential epigenetic disruption of an already organized epigenetic landscape within the MCL1 locus, and using that chromatin immunoprecipitation sequence analysis performed on those cells, it's exactly what they were discovering. So it suggests that transcriptional suppression of MCL1 by THC1 could be a potential therapeutic. Glioblastoma, okay, and that now here this is a little bit interesting, more interesting than what we normally talk about epigenetics. If that's not interesting enough, here we're we're altering the epigenetic profile very specifically. Although I would argue, probably not specifically in that if you're phosphorylating, if, I mean if you're inhibiting the phosphorylation, uh, or I mean altering the phosphorylation status, right? Interfering with the phosphorylation, say, of RNA polymerase two, and somehow this is having an effect on that histone three acetylation. Likely, that's going to have a more global response in the genome. Right, but in this case, it worked out perfectly because it knocked out the super enhanced transcription of MCL one, which is anti-apoptotic. Okay, got all that? Good. Now. A paper published in Cell Death Differentiation 2019 tells us the following. Neural stem cells and progenitor cells so-called neural precursor cells or NPCs, we just talked about these, generate respectively neurons and macroglia. So the murine NPC pool expands murine, right? From embryonic day 910, E9E10, and neurogenesis actually doesn't begin until e11 that's when the npcs ex- exit the cell cycle and they go to terminal differentiation with the help of programmed cell death that controls the total number of cells in the cns right this is a mouse model but you get how this works so remember the bcl2 that's the b cell lymphoma 2 pro apoptotic plus the anti-apoptotic like mcl1 proteins actually control that entire apoptotic event so in particular it's the anti-apoptotic member like the mcl1 that's the myeloid cell leukemia one that we've been talking about and the bcl2 related gene long isoform BCLXL, and they appear absolutely necessary for this murine model and now via induction, mammalian CNS development, functioning hierarchically throughout neural development and then terminal differentiation. So, what are the details? How does this program get hijacked? during tumorigenesis so now we're getting away from talking about the t-cells but remember the t-cells are going to be able to control eventually we'll get to the tumor cell and we're going to find out if not in this lecture the next one that the lymphocytes that are going to be looked at and this is going to be in a subclinical research to target a specific biomedical phenomenon. And in this case, it's cancer disease, right? And the the lymphocyte we're going to be looking at later on is going to be an NK cell, natural killer lymphocyte, which is actually part of the innate immune response. So I'm putting two things together here, just giving you a heads up, okay? Because sometimes I know you know, I lead one into the other because when I put these lectures together, I know what I'm doing when I'm writing the lecture. And once I've synthesized the lecture, and I want you to keep following along so you know that I'm getting somewhere with it. So, what about this BCLX? This is an anti apoptotic, is again it's BCLX long isoform. And that is the predominant isoform in the central nervous system. And its expression tracks very well at neurogenesis e11 in the urine model and then post mitotically in neurons starting at e13.5 okay remember very rapid development in the murine system so a knockout of bclx of course is going to do what (laughs) it's going to be embryonic lethal right at e13 and what Happens is apoptosis of both the immature neurons and all the hematopoietic cells as well, right? Because you remove the suppression of apoptosis, they all die from canonical apoptosis, mitochondrial, right? So a conditional knockout was, you know, facilitated here to demonstrate that BCLX is necessary for catecholaminergic and upper layer cortical so-called ca1 ca3 hippocampal cell differentiation you can do this in the murine model now it's pretty interesting because a knockout of bclx of immature retinal ganglion neurons results directly in apoptosis whereas adult neurons don't proceed all the way to PCD. They become autophagic, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. So just like MCL1, the anti apoptotic role of BCLXL in neurogenesis is temporal in event ontology. Okay. Now, this is why I always bring up the temporal signature. Why do I bring it up? Because everything in biochemistry, everything in living systems is an event, not a substance ontology. So you can't simply bargain with the natural biochemistry or the corrupted patho biochemistry of a system leading to a major human disease. Can't bargain with that system by looking at just knocking out or super activating or otherwise, mediating the control of expression of not just one gene, but many genes, because those are just looking at those genes as substances. You have to look at the gene as DNA to RNA to protein to protein active to protein turnover, and then all the mitigating and interacting circumstances when that protein is being expressed and functioning within the cell via multiple epigenetic alterations, as we will see, as well as conditioned allosteric regulation, if it's a protein, or protein-protein interactions, or protein-lipid interactions, as we've talked about multiple times through the course of authentic biochemistry lectures, okay? And what is all that then? It's an event, right? That's what I'm saying, an event. So that's why Pharmaceutical companies need to look at these as event ontologies. That's what I keep on emphasizing. And we as biochemists need to emphasize that all the more because we're the prolegomena to the pharmaceutical um, scientific community to come up with strategies to control or to mitigate major human diseases, right? Okay. So I think I emphasize that enough right this moment all right so individual conditional deletion of an mcl1 and a bclx suggests sequential roles in promoting cell survival during developmental neurogenesis that's summarizing what i said last time last the last slide. So in the MCL1 knockout, in that embryo, apoptosis begins at embryonic day 10, that's E10, in those proliferating neural progenitor cellular populations throughout the entire developing CNS. Now in the BCLX knockout embryo, apoptosis begins a day later at E11 within the post-mitotic neuronal population. So when you have the double knockout of MCL and BCLX, and you can do this conditionally to control it, cell death extends throughout both proliferating and non-proliferating cell populations. And that's why it results in embryonic lethality right at E 12. Earlier, remember than E 13, when we looked at just the knockout of MCL or BCL separately and under unique gene expression control. So, apoptotic cell death of the entire CNS in the double knockout suggests that both genes are necessary for cell survival during the entire developmental neurogenic system. Okay. That's what we're talking about here. Now, that's a lot of information that you get just from this one study. But this is when a study is done well. With all the appropriate controls and all of the well understood premises, and then the way to test those premises via the generation first of a strong null hypothesis, talking about, remember, programmed cell death in very specific populations of cells during neurogenesis, and then carrying out those studies by doing these knockouts, conditional knockouts, and then looking at the results. OK, so this is the kind of paper you want to have in your repertoire when you're when you're trying to understand this system, because it's a well done paper. OK, follows all the uh, research methods that we were talking about just last uh, lecture. Dr. Denguera on 15 February 2023, Authentic Biochemistry. saying bye for now.